Welcome back to Fundamentally Mormon. Today we're going to be reading chapter 11 of Reincarnation. The title of the chapter is Angelic Beings, and we'll be reading pages 87 to 96. If you're reading along, the chapter links as well as the book links and uh, a link to find other books on restoration theology will be in the description of the podcast so you can read along and uh, I'll also be giving my commentary as usual in this program that we're going to be covering today so the reason why I decided to read this particular book is because I want to talk about the false doctrine of reincarnation and lead into the true doctrine of eternal lives. So when we finish this book, um, I'll be going on to another book, which in the beginning of this series, I actually would read a chapter of this book and then a chapter of the other book that I'm going to be reading later, but I decided to just split them up into two separate books and just, uh, just cover one book at a time. So let's get into the reading of the program for today, which is chapter 11, Angelic Beings, pages 87 to 96. There are no angels who minister to this earth, but those who do belong or have belonged to it. Doctrine and Covenants, section 130, verse 5. By dictionary definition, an angel is a guardian spirit or guiding influence. And that's according to the American Heritage Dictionary. And again, a heavenly guardian, ministering spirit, or messenger, a fallen spirit also, um, a fallen spiritual being, also immortal. And that's the New International Dictionary. They should, he should have put the definition of what angel, or angel, sorry, Uh, means in Hebrew because angel in Hebrew is Melech and all it means is a messenger like a prophet can be a Melech and that's not Melchizedek priesthood a Melech is the Hebrew word for angel it just means a messenger or a sent one so if God sends a messenger to you whether they are in the flesh or whether they are uh, spiritual beings with no flesh uh, or whether they have resurrected flesh, they are a melech or a sent one. Anyway, continuing on, that's just my knowledge that um, through my study through the years, I've learned many different things. I've looked into different words and studied the Hebrew language Um I know a little bit of Greek, too, but um, I like to go back into the Hebrew language to to understand things. So anyway, continuing on, an angel or a melech 
can be either a good or bad messenger or servant. God has his angels or his sent ones, and the devil has his sent ones as well. Fortunately, Joseph Smith gave three grand keys to help us in determining one from another. There are two kinds of beings in heaven, namely angels who are resurrected personages having bodies of flesh and bones. For instance, Jesus said, Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And secondly, the spirits of just men made perfect, who are not resurrected, but inherit the same glory. When a messenger comes saying he has a message from God, offer him your hand and request him to shake hands with you. If he be an angel, he will do so, and you will fi- you will fill his hand. If he be a a spirit of a just man made perfect, he will come to his glory, come in his glory. For what? For that is the only way he can appear. Ask him to shake your hand or shake hands with you, but he will not move. But it is contrary to the order of heaven for a just man to deceive, but he will still deliver his message. And we're on page uh, 88. Yeah. All right, let's see here. If, if it will be a devil, if it be a devil, come as an angel of light. When you ask him to shake hands, he will offer you his hand and you will not feel anything. You may therefore detect him. These are three grand keys whereby you may know whether any administration is from God. Doctrine and Covenants section 129, 1 through 9. So, and like I've said this on the program before, um, like Satan's tried the whole angel of light thing with me before, and... I didn't have to try to shake his hand to know it was him. Like, I don't know how people can, like, be deceived by him when he comes as an angel of light. Because, like, every time he comes into my presence, I feel it. Like, I can feel... I feel the negative energy that he gives off. And every time I've had a spiritual experience where I've been taken into the presence of God or... I've had a messenger speak to me. Like, I feel that as well. You know, I can feel the um, the energy that they put off. Maybe that's just because I'm an empath. Uh, maybe, maybe I just have the spirit of discernment. I don't know why, but um, they're very distinct feelings. Now, I've never had a resurrected angel appeared to me so I've never been able to shake a hand or anything and you know all of the experiences that I've had with God have been with God himself not with anyone he's sent to speak to me so um, I can't actually say anything about the spirit uh, ministering spirits although I do know something about them because God has revealed things to me um and you know what, they kind of have, uh, they kind of, like, 
go with this whole reincarnation thing. So I won't get too much into detail because I've talked about this in the past. But um, I was studying out this, uh, this case of reincarnation, which is really very compelling. And I took it to God and I said, you know, I believe this. This case is so compelling. I believe that this this person did live this past life. And he told me, no, that the person was a ministering spirit to that individual. And he was there during this, these things that happened. And he saw the things in his life. But he was seeing it because he was there as a helper, as a ministering spirit, not because he was actually that person. And I won't go too much into detail with that because I've gone so much into detail in the past that the people who are regular listeners, they've already heard it, so I'm just going to not go there. But um, when God revealed that to me, Uh, It kind of showed me how people can remember past lives. And it's actually not their lives that they're remembering. It's actually them as ministering spirits before they came into mortality who are helping out other individuals. And they kept that memory of the spirit. You know, like the Vela is very important but sometimes the veil is thinner for some of us than it is for others. And sometimes people remember things from a past uh, life, but not a past mortal life. They're remembering things from before they came on the earth into mortality and that they were just a spirit being at that time helping an individual as a ministering spirit. So... Some people actually had this happen the other day. Um, I went to my friend's, um, a friend's, uh, a friend of mine. His name's Benjamin Schaefer. He is on social media, and he like is in a bunch of different like interviews and stuff. And he's been a friend of mine for many years. And he was made worshipful, worshipful master at a Masonic lodge. And no, I don't believe in the conspiracies that all Masons are evil or anything like that. Um, Maybe there are those who are evil, and that's more than likely the case. But um, And there can be secret combinations within any group, you know. Um, But I don't believe that the Masons of Provo, Utah are evil. I think that they're just guys who enjoy being with other people or like with other men and this is kind of like the club that they have anyway but my friend was made a mason and I was there for his uh, ordination I guess I I think that's what it's called anyway but um, one of the deacons was um, that was set apart or whatever because they've got a a high deacon and a low deacon I, I think I'm not an expert in these things. I just kind of trying to remember how things went. Anyway, I think it was a deacon. And um, he said, oh, where do I know you from? And my friend, 
Benjamin was like, oh, he's got a whole bunch of podcasts and YouTube videos. Maybe you've seen him on one of those. And he's all, well, maybe, but I don't really listen to podcasts. And I said, I told him, well, a lot of people recognize me, but they don't know why they recognize me. But, um, but they, you know, all around the world, people will recognize me when they see me. And I've been all around the world. Well, kind of. I've been to the Orient and to all of North America, like parts of Canada, all of the United States, including Alaska and Hawaii. But anyway, but I run into people all the time. Oh, you look familiar. And they don't know why. But even before I did my podcasts or my videos, people recognized me. Even before I had my beard and my long hair, people recognized me. And um, one time, there was a man in Nauvoo, Illinois, and he recognized me, but he didn't guess who I was. He knew exactly who I was. And when he saw me in person with my wife and, at that time, two kids, uh, he came down and he was shaking my hand and he had tears in his eyes and he says he knows he knows who I am he remembers me from the pre-existence that doesn't happen very often but a lot of these people that recognize me the veil is just a little bit too thick for them to remember exactly who I am but they know that I am a familiar person because I was so much in front of the people and I taught so many people in the pre-existence and brought them back to the point of salvation and worked with the elect as the witness of the Father and the Son so people recognize me uh, but they don't know why they recognize me and I don't know why I went into that huge tangent but whatever I just felt like I needed to talk about that for some reason. Anyway, let's get back into the reading. Apostle Orson Pratt described three types of good angels that pertain to this earth, adding the classifications of those spirits who have not yet been to this earth for the two types already mentioned by the prophet Joseph Smith. Quote, There are many different classes of beings in the eternal worlds, and among them are angels, or meleks, sent ones. Who are these angels? Number one, some of them have never yet come to take upon them mortal bodies of flesh and bones, but they will come in their times, seasons, and generations and receive their tabernacles or mortal mortal bodies the same as we have done. Number two, then there are those, then there are others who were resurrected when Jesus was, when the graves of the saints were opened, and many came forth and showed themselves to those who were living in the flesh. And number three, besides these, there are angels who have been to this world and have never yet received a resurrection, whose spirits have gone hence into the celestial paradise and there await the resurrection we now we have now mentioned three classes of angels journal of discourses volume 15 page 321 
To reiterate, then, Orson Pratt described three categories of angels. Number one, those who have not yet taken a, a mortal body. Number two, those who have been to earth and are now resurrected. And number three, those who have been to earth and are yet and are not yet resurrected. Now on page 89, for those of you who are reading along, we're at 18%. Referring to those angels in the second category, those who are resurrected, the apostle Orson Pratt classified them into two major orders. According to the revelations which God has given, there are different classes of angels. Number one, some angels are gods and still possess the lower office called angels. I wonder if that would be archangels, because archangels are exalted, uh, are exalted angels. I'm not exactly sure the classification here, because I don't believe that Michael is an Elohim but we know that Jehovah is. And and if you've listened to this program in the past, um, Ether chapter 3, when Jesus shows his spirit being to Mohanry Moriankamer, or the brother of Jared, he says, this is the body of my spirit, and this is what I'll look like when I come in the flesh. But um, he says also that I have not yet appeared to man on the earth, but Jehovah, our Elohim, which in the Hebrew scriptures, he's called Jehovah Elohim. Well, Elohim's a title. It means mighty ones. It's a plurality of, of gods, but it's also the name of an office. And Jehovah is the name of a person who is our God. So when... Um, before and during the flood and during the or not during the flood before the flood and after the flood before uh, Jesus appeared to Mohanry Moriankumar Yehovah our Elohim had appeared to many including Adam and Enoch and Methuselah before the flood and others and he walked with them and talked with them as one man talks with another as a resurrected being with a body and after the flood he appeared to Abraham with two or three other um, angels who had bodies like this is before the resurrection like they already had bodies because they were resurrected on an older earth but they came and sat down with Abraham and this is Jehovah or Jehovah who was our Elohim, which is a an office title, um, and he had a meal of meat and dairy in Abraham's tents. It talks about that in the Old Testament. So he had a body, and this is before Jesus himself had a body. He was waiting until the meridian of time. That's why in Moses chapter 1, um, Jehovah is talking to, I believe it's Noah, or maybe it's Moses. I'll have to read it again, but it's Moses chapter 1, verse 6, and and he's talking, I think it was Moses actually, and he says, you are in the similitude of mine only begotten son. 
Well, the modern-day Mormon will say that Jesus is Jehovah, but Jesus didn't have an only begotten son, at least not yet. That doesn't happen until he becomes a father and he becomes an Adam to his own world, which is the new heaven and the new earth that is created in the book of Revelations. When that new earth is created, Jesus, being our spiritual father through the law of adoption, will become our physical father and become an Adam to a world, the same way that Michael the archangel did for this world. So Jesus would become an archangel or high Melech, and Jehovah for this world become uh, what already became an Elohim when he instructed Michael how to create this earth. Well, in that new world, Michael will be an Elohim, and he will instruct Jesus how to create a world. And then the one who is God the witness for this earth will become a redeemer. And he will organize or create the spirits, which just means to organize. Like, that's another word that is misunderstood in the Hebrew language. Um, The word create in the Hebrew language means to organize existing matter or existing individuals. And that's how Jesus Christ is the creator. But also... Because, well, Jesus Christ organized the spirits before they came into this world. That was his job as a redeemer. But when Jehovah brought Michael to this, where this earth would be organized, Jehovah showed Michael how to do the work. And Michael, our prince, the archangel, did the work of creating the earth. Joseph Smith taught that God, the creator, is the father. That's Michael. That's the Adam-God doctrine in its pure, simple form. That's what that's all about. And that's what Brigham Young was trying to, to teach. But I don't think Brigham Young actually knew knew it like I know it because I've seen it. But Brigham Young was taught those things by Joseph Smith and then those things were changed and later rejected the same way that Jesus Christ being the son of of Michael and the, the grandson of Jehovah was taught in the early church. But those things began to change in the 1880s after the death of Brigham Young during the during the time of John Taylor, those things began to be changed. And then by the time of James E. Talmadge writing Jesus the Christ, they no, no longer believed that Jehovah was different than Jesus. They believed that he was the same individual, even though it contradicts scripture. And Joseph Smith also taught that they who contradict the Bible, the Book of Mormon, or the Doctrine and Covenants are basically just true scripture you set them as imposters. Well, James E. Talmadge, who claimed to be a prophet, seer, and revelator, never had any visions that I know of in my study of church history. He never had a revelation given, so he's not a revelator. And he could be a prophet because God wants all of us to be prophets. He could be inspired. He can be a true prophet. He could be a false prophet. He could be a fallen prophet. 
He could be just a mortal man who received some revelation as far as um, what a prophet receives, not a thus saith the Lord revelation, but just um, inspiration and confirmation of the Spirit and be, be a prophet, but also not be right in every, everything that he believes. But this whole idea that Jesus and Jehovah are the same person, it contradicts Moses chapter 1, it contradicts other statements of church history, and uh, in fact, if you want, you can go to ogdenkraut.com, and there's a book called, um, you, you, you click on uh, read Ogden's books, and that'll bring you to a list, and you just go down alphabetically, and there's a book called Mysteries of Creation. I believe the chapter you're going to want to look for is either chapter 8 or chapter 9, but just go through the chapters, and you find the one that says Jehovah, and then just read that. That'll begin to open your eyes. The Jesus and Jehovah are two separate individuals. Uh, Ogden Kraut listed a bunch of statements from the early leaders of the church, including Joseph Smith, where they knew and taught that Jesus was the grandson of Jehovah. But now there's a simplistic view. They've lost knowledge because they've been rejected, for one, and they have wanted to get the church closer to mainstream Christianity than they should ever have done because mainstream Christianity is the apostate Christianity that God was trying to um, I don't know overcome with truth as part of the restoration and they're trying to go back to being popular with the world and being part of mainstream Christianity which means they have rejected many things that are part of the restoration. A lot of the knowledge that was part of the restoration, they have rejected, they have changed, they have changed the ordinances, they have changed the anointings, the endowments. Uh, like if you think the church is the same as it was back in the time of Joseph Smith, as far as, far as doctrine, you have not done your due diligence in studying these things out not even close because the church today doesn't resemble um, it does not resemble the church that was restored there are there are some similarities but there are many many differences and they don't want you to understand those things so they keep them from you so you actually have to go and study things outside of the recommended church literature because they don't want you to know just how much they have changed. The only reason I know that they've changed things is because before I was a, a Mormon, before I knew that Joseph Smith was a prophet, I was an anti-Mormon Baptist, and I studied a lot of anti-Mormon literature. And when I told God that I wanted to serve him for the rest of my life, um, I wanted to know how to serve him, which means that I was uh, that I prepared myself for the anti-Mormon literature. And with myself being called to Southern Georgia as my mission, 
because uh, that's where I served my mission in southern Georgia, which is interesting because I was a Southern Baptist. I already knew how to talk and, uh, and you know, talk the language of those people um, or the, just the way that they think. Uh, as Baptists, because there's so many of them in the South, I was able to um, be successful as a missionary, but I also would study anti-Mormon stuff, which talks about a lot of this stuff that um, that the church used to believe. Of course, they teach it like the church still believes it. But um, I would go to the sources that they were reading from, and they were, I would find out what the truth was, as far as from the sources, and then I would go to God and get revelation um, because I wanted to be the best missionary that I could be. And I studied the best that I could in order to refute what these individuals were trying to say and to know the truth for myself. That's why I know about these things, because I studied like a madman for 20-something years, you know, and I've continued to study, so, <clears throat> excuse me. All right, let's see here. Some angels are gods, or Elohim, and still possess the lower office of, uh, office called angels. Eh... I guess Michael is an exalted one, but he's still called an archangel, not an Elohim. So, like I said, I don't understand exactly how those offices work. Adam is called an archangel, yet he is a god. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, no doubt, have the right to officiate in the capacity of angels if they choose, but still still they have ascended to their exaltation to a higher state of that than that of angels, namely to thrones, kingdoms, principalities, powers, to reign over kingdoms, and to hold everlasting priesthood. See, but I don't believe that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are exalted gods at this time because I believe that in order to become an exalted god, you have to go through the process of being God the Witness, which is the first level of the celestial kingdom, God the Redeemer, which is the second level of the Celestial Kingdom, and God the Father, or the Creator, which is the exalted level of the Celestial Kingdom. So, I think, I believe that Jesus qualified to become God the Father when he paid for the sins, our sins in the Garden of Gethsemane and sealed it upon the cross, that he qualifies for the highest level of of the celestial kingdom, which is the exalted level of a father. And we become his through the law of adoption, but he has not yet become an Adam so that we become his physically, which is what uh, Michael did. He took upon himself the name of God, the eternal father, who is Adam. And uh, he created an earth for us to dwell thereon. So when I took upon my flesh, I became his physically. But because he was a redeemer in a previous mortal probation, the one right before this, what we call the pre-existence, that he paid for me spiritually. So I am Michael's son 
spiritually through the law of adoption and physically because of my mortal flesh. And I am Jesus Christ's son through the law of adoption spiritually. And when he becomes an Adam and he uh, creates a world and I become a mortal being in that world, I will become his physically. So that um, we will all become Jesus Christ's physically. That's how there's fathers above and fathers below. That's how there are many fathers, because we are the we are the sons and daughters of Jehovah as well, and Michael, and we're the sons and daughters spiritually of Jesus, and we will become the sons and daughters of Jesus physically when we become His physical posterity. So, but of course, in the next world. I will become an only begotten of Jesus. I will be his only begotten son. Because of my office as the witness of the Father and the Son. So, anyway, let's just get back into this reading. Number two. Then there is another order of angels who never have ascended to these powers and dignities, to this greatness and exaltation in the presence of God. Who are they? Those who never received an everlasting covenant of marriage for eternity. Those who have not continued in nor received that law with all their hearts or who perhaps have fought against it. They become angels. They have no power to increase and extend forth to kingdoms. They have no wives, no husbands. They are servants to those that sit upon thrones and rule over kingdoms and are counted worthy of a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Anyway, that's Journal of Discourses, volume 13, page 187. And see, Orson Pratt believed in polygamy, or plural celestial marriage, but he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand why God allows plural celestial marriage, but I do because God has shown me these things. Um, you can be exalted and be monogamous, but you wouldn't want to be monogamous and be exalted. And the reason for that is, is because there are many elect daughters of God. There are many more, more elect daughters of God than there are men. And in order to receive your exaltation and your eternal lives, you must continue to progress as the gods do. But you must also be sealed to a man, a man to a woman and a woman to a man. Because before the intelligence became self-aware, it was both male and female or feminine and masculine energies. And it was in a state of immortality. But when the spirit becomes self-aware, it separates and you have a male and a female spirit. And at that point, the male and the female spirit will begin to age and there will be an end to the spirit after a period of, of a long time of, of aging. But in order to stop that process, the man, the elect man of God, 
and the elect woman of God must be sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. But because there are many more elect females than there are males, God allows plural celestial marriage. And when you begin to understand those things in a spiritual nature and stop fighting against it because because it's an abomination for some people to live plural celestial marriage, but it's not an abomination for all people, you know, then when you begin to see the truth of why God allows plural celestial marriage and you accept that, then it'll be a great... Um, how do you say blessing these women who are so carnal in nature that they they are repulsed at the idea and the men as well that they're repulsed of the at the idea that plural marriage is something that God does allow and there's a good reason for that when they get over their carnal mortal uh ideas and they begin to understand things in a spiritual nature then they'll accept plural celestial marriage and they'll understand that it is a great mercy that God has allowed I believe that Joseph Smith was against plural marriage in the way that um, that they were trying to push for the agenda that Brigham Young and, and Heber C. Kimball and Bennett and others were trying to do it in the wrong way, but that plural celestial sailings with the possibility of polygamy was something that Joseph Smith understood and was trying to teach. But I believe that um, that it was taught wrong by the apostles who thought that they were going to just hold on to this thing and do what they wanted with it. So that brings me to another point that I want to bring up for those of you who are listening to me right now. If you are in fundamentalism because you want to live polygamy, you're not really like, I can say, yeah, you're a fundamentalist, but if that's the only reason you want to live or be a fundamentalist because you want to live polygamy, like, I don't know, grow up, like, Okay, so I'm just going off on my own personal opinions and tangents right now. To be a fundamentalist Mormon doesn't mean that you're a polygamist. Polygamy or plural celestial marriage, as understood correctly, is part of fundamentalism. But fundamentalism is just teaching and believing the original doctrines of the church before they were perverted by the wicked um, what does Isaiah call him? Ephraim? I can't remember. Isaiah 28 the drunkards of Ephraim. And why are they drunk? Because they're drunk on the spirit of Babylon the Great and they have infused Babylonian ideas into the gospel. That's why Isaiah calls these Ephraimites in the last days the drunkards of Ephraim. That look upon, or that all, he says all their tables are full of vomit and filth. It's because they look at the meat of the gospel as filth and vomit and vile. That they look upon polygamy as vile. They look upon Adam-God doctrine as vile. They look upon the gathering of Israel is vile. 
They look upon the United Order and consecration as vile. They look upon the meat of the gospel as vile and filth and vomit. That's why Isaiah says those things in Isaiah chapter 28 about the Ephraimites in the last days. But there's a lot of fundamentalists that are, especially young ones, who are in their 20s and 30s and sometimes even teens. Oh, and they want to live polygamy so bad. But they care nothing about the truth of the doctrine of, of like, these other things. There's so many polygamists that are like, oh, yeah, as many wives as I can get. And that is a, that is a wrong way to go, to go about being a polygamist or being a fundamentalist. Fundamentalism is so much more than <clears throat> than just having a bunch of wives and having a bunch of kids through those wives. And if it's not lived correctly, it's an abomination to God. It is an abomination to God. So anyway, continuing on, Orson Pratt further clarifies, quote, there is a difference between the classes of angels called celestial, terrestrial, and telestial. The celestial angels have not attained all to all to all of the power and greatness and exaltation of kings and priests in the presence of God. They are blessed with glory, happiness, peace, and joy. But they are not blessed with the privilege of increasing their posterity to all ages of eternity. Neither have they thrones and kingdoms, but they are servants to those of a high of the highest order. The and I just gotta say this as well. How you extend the kingdoms through posterity is through the law of adoption. Modern Mormons believe that 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 it was taught that there would be celestial sex and that that a woman will be just popping out all these spirit babies and that you know if she becomes a goddess to a world and her husband becomes a god that she's going to have to birth billions and billions of billions of spirit babies through constant celestial sex it's, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. This is not how it happens. You are thinking in a carnal nature, a temple sense, when you should be uh, elevated to a spiritual understanding. And you should be getting revelation, not just accepting these foolish ideas about how you're going to have celestial sex for all eternity until you have billions and billions and billions of spirit babies. No, that's not how it works. The intelligence, when it becomes self-aware, it becomes male and female on its own. It doesn't require celestial sex. Those individuals who bring up those, those children uh, who were, you know, intelligence... And then they become self-aware and the masculine becomes a male spirit and the feminine energies become a female spirit. 
they are the first parents of those individuals and they bring them up and they teach them correct principles. So they become a mother and a father to those individuals. But that Jesus Christ, or a redeemer of an earth, he becomes a father spiritually to us through the law of adoption. All they who be, who accept Jesus Christ on this world will become a child of God, a child of Jesus Christ through the law of adoption. Those who reject him will become those individuals. Sorry, I lost my train of thought because my my nine-year-old daughter started making a bunch of noise and I'm like, so I paused the recording for a minute, which I like being able to pause the recording because I'll cough and stuff and I don't want you guys to have to listen to that and sometimes I don't catch it in time. So, but anyway, it is 8.26 in the morning on Sunday morning and I am recording this and we're only 29%. So this program is going to be like a two... It's going to be a, a t- over a two-hour program, I'm sure. My wife just came downstairs, and my dog just came downstairs. And I don't know if you can hear him because he's got these claws on the hardwood floor. <laughs> he's loud. He's, like, always making noise when he walks around. Anyway, he needs bootsies. <laughs> anyway, my wife says tonight is the first night of Hanukkah. Now, was last night the first night of Hanukkah, and today is the first day of Hanukkah? No, so tonight at sundown is the first night of Hanukkah. Okay, do you want to say that? No. Okay. I'm so excited. Oh, she's excited that Hanukkah's starting. So tonight at sundown, Sunday night, is the first night of Hanukkah, and tomorrow day will be the first day of Hanukkah. So, and then tomorrow at sundown will be the second night of Hanukkah. So my wife's excited. <laughs> Oh, she has an idea, but I am recording right now, Kim. Okay, I'll listen to your idea later. Okay. All right, anyway, we're at 29% through the program right now, so let me just continue to read. The angels of the terrestrial and celestial orders, while possessing a degree of happiness and glory, are lower than those of the celestial order. We might inquire, have angels not also these affections which belong to the higher class of beings? So we're on page 90 if you're following along. Insomuch as they are resurrected beings. Yes, but herein they have lost through disobedience the privilege of attaining to the higher glory and exaltation. They have affections and desires that can never be gratified And in this respect, their glory is not full. Journal of Discourses, volume 13, pages 187 to 188. And see, I disagree with that as well. People who are resurrected as telestial or terrestrial, or even the first two orders of the celestial, are simply not to the point of the progression of the gods where they receive an exalted body. They're not yet, uh, they don't progress, or they have not yet progressed to receive it. It's not through disobedience. It can be, but it's not, for the majority of the people on in, in their mortal states of probation in this world, 
they have not they just not come to the point where they can be an exalted being but when they're resurrected if they are anything below the second order of the celestial kingdom they don't progress in the resurrected state that's why Jesus Christ had a body on an older earth when he was God the witness and he was resurrected the second order of the celestial kingdom and that's why I had a body on an older earth and I was resurrected as in the first order of the celestial kingdom and then before this earth was created we put off our resurrection so that we could so that we could progress and that's the secret in order for humanity to progress they must willingly put off the resurrection that they have that they have earned as they have progressed and gone up the ladder gone up in ascension and they must come on an earth and become a, a spirit being again and then take upon themselves a mortal body. That's how Jesus Christ was a God before he had a body in this world. Because he had ascended through previous mortal probations to the point where he was resurrected as the second order of the celestial kingdom. And then he, he puts that off. We all put ours off in order to progress because you have to put off the body, the resurrected body, or you're damned in the state of that resurrection. That's the secret. That's what God revealed to me in 2010. That's the secret of multiple mortal probations. It isn't necessarily to come on an earth many times, although there may be uh, cases for that to happen. I don't know. God has never revealed that to me. He said there was more to it, but he hasn't revealed it to me at this time. But I do know that we do take upon ourselves mortality on new earths. And that we all progress as a family group together. And uh, Brigham Young and Orson Pratt and all of these, Heber C. Kimball, John Taylor, they didn't understand these things because it wasn't given to them at that time to understand these things. Joseph Smith began to understand these things, and he talked about them shortly before his death at the lecture at the Grove, which was, uh, I think it was in June of 1844 when that lecture it was the last lecture that he gave and even that was cut short because of rain the last full sermon that joseph gave was the king follett discourse which talks about these things as well he begins to he begins to get into these things and expound expound upon these things but he did more so in the lecture at the grove and then he died See, Joseph Smith laid the foundation for Zion to be redeemed. The Davidic servant that comes, who I proclaim to be, is given more information to teach the remnant 
so that they have a fuller understanding of the restored gospel than than people were worthy of in the days of of the restoration with Joseph Smith Jr. Well, continuing on, we're at 32% through the reading for today. How could this be true if spirits kept returning to mortality until they got it right and achieved perfection? At the funeral of James Adams, Joseph Smith gave some important information on both spirits and angels. Hence the importance of understanding the distinction between the spirits of just of the just and angels. Spirits can only be revealed in flaming fire of glory. Angels have advanced further, their light and glory being tabernacled, meaning they have bodies. And, and hence, they appear in bodily shape, and the spirits of men, then the spirits of just men made, are made ministering servants to those who are sealed up unto eternal life. And it is through them that the selling power comes down. Patriarch Adams is now one of the spirits of just men made perfect, and if revealed now, must be revealed in fire and glory, and could not be endured. Jesus showed himself to his disciples, and they thought it was his spirit, and they were afraid to approach his spirit. Angels have advanced higher in knowledge and power than spirits. And that's Joseph Smith's opinion, uh, Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 6, page 51. As mentioned previously, the devil's also the, de- the devil also has angels or Meleks, sent ones. They are the class who have not received physical bodies. Brigham Young explained. So let's listen to Brigham Young's opinion on this. And the dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. They were cast out, and if our government had cast out the cedars, the war would soon have been ended. This placed the spirit of evil on the earth those evil spirits are not permitted to receive tabernacles of their own and that is their condemnation and punishment and by the way we're on page 91 they have been known to take possession of the bodies of men and women and rather than to be without a body they have they have entered the bodies of brutes journal of discourses Volume 9, page 332. Thus, our lives here on earth are observed by angels, both good and bad. To them, the earth is a stage, and we are the players acting out our lives. On television, we watch different actors and cheer for the good fellows to win. Apparently, guardian angels do the same. For Joseph Smith explained, quote, the spirits of just of the just are exalted to a greater and more glorious work. Hence, they are blessed in their departure to the world of spirits, enve- enveloped in flaming fire, 
they are not far from us and know and understand our thoughts, feelings, and motions and are often pained therewith. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 6, page 52. In at least three separate revelations to Joseph Smith, the Lord speaks of the awareness and concern of the angels. Quote, The testimony which we have borne is recorded in heaven, for the angels look upon and they rejoice over you. And that was Doctrine and Covenants, uh, section 62, verse 3, which is given in 1831. Continuing on with the quotes, My spirit shall be in your hearts, and mine angels round about you to bear you up. And that revelation was given in 1832 in his Doctrine and Covenants, section 84, verse 88. Continuing on, Your brethren in Zion begin to repent, and the angels rejoiced over them. That revelation was given in 1833 in its Doctrine and Covenants, section, six, uh, section 90, verse 34 and also let's see here well all right i'll read this the lord also gave a revelation to wilford woodruff in 19 or 1889 so the church doesn't they they hid these revelations because after plural celestial marriage was done away with in 1890 like there are certain revelations that they did not want to get among the general population so they pulled them um, I have seen these revelations in the the English versions of the Doctrine and Covenants of this time period, and I know that they existed in those books because I have read them in those books for myself. Um, I had a friend who had uh, Doctrine and Covenants that was printed in Great Britain or England, um, when these things came out and they were accepted and then later on they they were taken out of those versions of the Doctrine and Covenants and they were never put into the American version of the Doctrine and Covenants. And if you want to know more about those revelations that were taken out, if you go to OgdenCrowd.com and you and you're, scroll down to the book called Revelations 1880 through 1890, you can learn the history of it. You can read all of the stuff that was received that the church started to hide in the turn of the century, and uh, and learn you know what what it is that these things talk about. But so this revelation that Wilfred Woodruff was given in ni- or 1889 contained a similar message. Quote: The eyes of the Lord and the heavenly hosts are watching over you in your acts. And that was also included in the message of the First Presidency, Volume 3, page 176. All right, so we're on page 92 at 51% through the reading for today. Regarding the belief of some reincarnationalists who say that people living on this earth also also lived before on other planets, concerning the following scriptures. Okay. Uh, this is hard to deal with because it seems like it's contradicting, but it's not, and I'll explain why. Anyway, here's the quote. But there are no angels who minister to this earth, but those who who do belong or have belonged to it. The angels do not reside on a planet like this earth, but they reside in the presence of God on a globe like a sea of glass and fire, 
where all things for their glory are manifest, past, past, present, and future, and are continually before the Lord. And that's Doctrine and Covenants section 130, verses 5 through 7. This applies to past, present, and future inhabitants of this earth. All persons who leave this earth cannot be born again as mortals on some other earth. That is true as long as this earth is in its terrestrial or telestial state. But when this earth becomes a celestial state, there is going to be a... This earth will become a fire of sea and glass or a great Urim and Thummim. And those who are not celestial will not be able to remain here. They will have inherited this earth for a time, but when John the Revelator saw the new earth being created and this earth joining again or with the heavens or the Shamaim, the new earth will become a new probation a new probationary state for the spirits of those who have put off their resurrection and gone on to this new earth. That those those mortals who were part of this earth, they will not be born on another planet. That's why I question the fact that people believe that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are exalted beings. I think that that was an opinion that that was perpetuated but not fully understood because in order to receive your exaltation you have to become a witness and then a redeemer and fulfilled your role as a redeemer and become a father that's when you receive your exaltation see when michael became a redeemer and he was resurrected on the third day on an older earth he never put that resurrection off. He never died and became a spirit again. Jesus Christ, when he paid for our sins and the fall of this earth in the Garden of Gethsemane and he sealed it upon the cross, three days later he took upon himself his body and was resurrected. And he will never put that off again. When Michael was brought to this earth, he came here as a celestial being and he descended through partaking of the fruit of this earth with one of his wives according to journal of discourses volume one uh, page 50 he descended and he became a terrestrial being on this earth and the veil was placed over his mind and he continued to eat the fruit of this earth and he became a celestial and the reason why he had to do that was because in order for him and his wife Hava or Ashura to conceive children in mortality, they had to descend to a celestial level of being. At the end of their life or their lives, they were translated and became terrestrial beings and waited until the the uh, Jesus paid for the sins of this world and the fall of this world. When Jesus says, I do nothing except for what I've seen the Father do, well, the Father went through the same process that Jesus went through. 
And when Jesus Christ was resurrected, the first person he went to was Miriam or Mary. Miriam's the Hebrew name of Mary. And Mary, not his mother, but his wife. And she goes to see her to comfort her first person, right? In the garden, uh, at the garden tomb. And she ran to him and he said, Hold me not, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go unto my brethren and say unto them, I ascended to my father and to your father. That is Michael. That's Adam. Jesus is the is the only begotten of Adam because when Jesus was conceived, he was conceived by a terrestrial being who conceived with Mary, his mother, as a telestial being, and that made him an only begotten. And he had to do that and be an only begotten in that way so that he could withstand the sins and the weight of the sins and the transgressions of this world and the fall of this world to atone for this world. That's why Jesus was able to do so many things. That's why he was able to withstand the the constant pounding of sin after sin come upon him. And he, he bled from every pore, but he was able to heal himself as that that came upon him. And that would have killed any celestial individual they would not have been able to endure. Jesus was able to endure because he was part terrestrial and part telestial as the only begotten of Adam. But Jesus at this point, when he's seeing his wife Mary, I know it gets a little confusing, but he says, hold me not for I've not yet ascended to my father, but go unto my brethren and say unto them, I ascended to my father, and your father, speaking of Michael, Adam, and my God, and your God, speaking of Jehovah, our Elohim. And then when Jesus went as the first fruits on the day of first fruits, which is one of the holy days of Jehovah, he brought his father back to a full state of exaltation. And when Jesus becomes an Adam on a new earth that John saw in the book of Revelations, he will never put off his body completely. Although he will descend from a celestial exalted all the way down to a telestial in order for him and one of his wives to create mortal tabernacles for all of us who are adopted to him to come into and for the new spirits that are being introduced into the a world for the first time. And he will become the father of us physically, like Adam did. But he is already our father through the law of adoption. And the people in the beginning of the restoration were not ready to hear these things. And you know what? of the world is not ready to hear these things either. If you understand these things and you know that they're true, it's because you are ready to understand these things and you are qualified to be part of the remnant. Not the Denver Snuffer remnant, not the Phil Davis remnant, but the remnant of God 
who can accept all the truth of God and live all that God has commanded. And I'm going to go off on a little tangent, but, but Denver Snuffer has the ability to gather and he has the ability to, to do the things that are required for people to begin to live all that God has commanded, but he is not doing that because he is not the Davidic servant. Phil Davis is not doing those things either with his groups because he is not the Davidic servant either. He is telling people, oh, we don't have to worry about that until the certain time. So he is, he is getting people to put off living those things until a, until some future date. But we should be living these things now. But there is not a people on the earth who are willing to actually live these things at this time. However, in the JST of Genesis chapter 9, it says, When there is a people who will live all that I have commanded, they shall establish Zion below, and they shall look up, and Zion from above will come down upon the earth. And the church of the firstborn will come down with them. And that has to happen in order for Adam and Andiamon to happen, which has not happened yet. Regardless of whether somebody says that it has or hasn't, it has not happened yet. Because there is no, there is a correct order of things. And the, the things that need to happen in order for Zion to come down with the church of the firstborn, in order for Adam and Andiamon to happen... There is not a people who is is living the fullness of the gospel in the fullness in the correct way on the earth at this time. There are people who are practicing trying to live it, but they're not there at this time. Anyway, let me go back and read um, the first part of this. All persons who leave this life cannot be born again as mortals on some other earth. And my caveat is until this earth becomes a heaven or a shamayim and a new earth is created. That's my caveat. This will be their only temple earth. And that's just a limited understanding of what the truth really is with the progression of the gods and multiple mortal probations. Some suppose that angels who came to Abraham and Jacob were angels from another earth. And let me just explain this. Those angels which came to Abraham had physical bodies before the resurrection. They were resurrected beings before the resurrection took place on this earth. Because they were resurrected on another earth. Now Cleon Skousen is going to try to give apologetics to like wiggle around this idea. But let's see what he has to say. Cleon Skousen gave his an explanation of this. The translation by Joseph Smith is more complete in describing these visitors, and so we turn to that source for a description of what happened. These three visitors are sometimes referred to as angels in Genesis chapter 18, verse 16. And sometimes they are called men, Genesis chapter 18, verse 2. Perhaps a better explanation is found in the verse which says they were angels, which were holy men. And all angels means is a melech or a sent one. But these were 
resurrected individuals who are able to sit down with Abraham and have a meal, which Jesus as a spirit could not do, which spirits cannot eat a meal. These were men who were resurrected, who were sent, who came with Yehovah Elohim and sat down with Abraham. Anyway, continuing, these messengers were in direct communication with God and were instructed to go down and judge Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis chapter 18, verses 19 through 20. This would seem to imply that they had come from another planet or a distant place of residence to fulfill their mission. It is highly possible that they may have been members of the priesthood from the community of Enoch. Hmm. Well, that's a good explanation. It's not right. Joseph Smith was told that the righteous people in the translated city of Enoch are held in reserve to be ministering angels unto unto many planets of a lesser glory and who as yet have not entered into so great a fullness of those who are resurrected from the dead. And we're on page 93, but that quote comes from teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith. Page 170 and is part of Cleon Skousen's core, which we're still going through. Joseph Smith also had this to say concerning Enoch himself. He is a ministering angel to minister to those who shall be heirs of salvation and appeared unto Jude. And it says Ibid. I don't know what he's referring to. I hate it when people use that I-B-I-D. Because it refers to a to what they just quoted, but what they just quoted was Genesis, and it doesn't. I don't know. Right? Maybe he's talking about the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith. I don't know. Anyway, continuing on, it might also be kept in mind that this was about the time that Melchizedek and his people wrought righteousness and obtained heaven and sought for the city of Enoch, which God had before taken. We just talked about in Genesis 14, 30 through 34. The scripture says that Melchizedek and his people were of that order, which made it possible for righteous men and women to be translated and taken into heaven. And that all comes from the first 2,000 years by Cleon Skousen, page 311. So, and you know what? We know that they had physical resurrected bodies because... When they came into Sodom, um, the people of Sodom wanted to sleep with them. They wouldn't have. They wouldn't have tried to sleep with the spirit. But they thought that they could have their way with these individuals who had the fullness of the priesthood, who had resurrected bodies, who were physical beings. Anyway, Joseph F. Smith explained more about the angels who come to this earth as being those who belong to it and not some reincarnate, reincarnates from another world. Quote, We are told by the prophet Joseph Smith that there are no angels who minister to this earth, but those who do belong or have belonged to it. Hence, when messengers are sent to minister to the inhabitants of this earth, they are not strangers, but are from the ranks of our kindred friends and fellow beings and fellow servants. 
the ancient prophets who died were those who came to visit their fellow creatures upon the earth. They came to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and and it was such beings, holy beings, if you please, that waited upon the Savior and administered to him on the mount. The angel that visited John when in exile and unfolded his vision of the future events of the history of man upon the earth was one who had been here, who had toiled and suffered in common with people, the people of God. For you remember that John, after his eyes had beheld the glories of the great future, was about to fall down and worship him, meaning he was going to worship the angel that was presenting the revelations of Jesus Christ to him, but was promptly forbidden to do so. And the angel, which did present the revelation of Jesus Christ to John, he says, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which kept the sayings of this book. And then he says, Worship God. And that is is talked about in the book of Revelations. And I think it's in chapter 1 when it talks about that. But... We're getting that from a quote uh, by Brigham Young in Journal of Discourses, volume 22, verses, or page 351. Okay, we're on 90, page 94. We're 75% through the reading for today. It is clear, then, that all those who come to this earth as spirits translated beings, just men made perfect or resurrected beings are those who belong to this, to it. This would naturally mean that the same principle applies to all other earths. It should also be clear that people who live on this earth can become angels and still work with those in mortality. They do not need to come back and be physically born again. Joseph F. Smith explains that there are laws to which they who are in the paradise of God must be subject, as well as laws to which we are subject. And except we become acquainted with those laws and live in harmony with them, we need not expect to enjoy these privileges. Joseph Smith, Hiram Smith, Brigham Young, Heber C. Kimball, Jedediah M. Grant, David Patton, Joseph Smith Sr. and all those noble men who took an active part in the establishment of this work and who died true and faithful to their trust have the right and privilege and possess the keys and power to minister to the people of God in the flesh who live now as much so and so on the same principles the ancient servants of God had the right to return to the earth and, and administer and minister to the saints of God in their day. These are correct principles. There is no question about that in my mind. And that's according to Joseph F. Smith, Journal of Discourses, Volume 22, page 351 and 352. And then there... There have been some individuals who did not die. Their bodies were translated. For instance, Enoch and his city were caught up without seeing death. We read that Moses departed this life 
his body could not be found, Elijah too ascended up to heaven without dying. And you know what? Adam too. Adam and Eve were translated as well. Their graves are not on this earth because they did not die on this earth. The last time they died was on an older probation on another world before this earth was created. And at the end of their telestial sojourn on this earth, they became terrestrial again as translated individuals until the day of first fruits when the when Jesus Christ went and brought them up to a state of, of exaltation which they when they came on this earth they came as celestial beings. Also John the Revelator was permitted to live upon the earth until the Savior should come and the Book of Mormon gives an account of three Nephites who lived on the American continent who asked for the same privilege, and it was granted to them. Uh, See John Taylor, Journal of Discourses, Volume 18, page 307 and 308, and we're on page 95 at 86% through the reading for today. When Moses and Elijah, or Elias, appeared to Christ in Matthew chapter 17, verse 3, They appeared in their translated bodies with the same identity that they possessed while in mortality. When Moses, Elijah, Peter, James, John, Moroni, Abraham, John the Baptist, and Jesus appeared to Joseph Smith, each one of them had the same body that he had in mortality. Of course, they were resurrected beings at that time, or translated as the case may be. And I wanted to say, just because we know about John the Revelator being on the earth still, and we know about um, the three Nephites, that doesn't mean that they're the only ones. We know about four, there are more. (laughs) Maybe I should say there may be more, because that's speculation on my part, and I'll admit to it. Um, But I believe that like there could be more that are on this earth who are translated who well I mean we know Elisha and Moses were they have not yet died John John the Revelator we know him and we know the three Nephites but I believe there's even more than that anyway continuing on They were perfected, resurrected beings with the same identity they had as mortals, or they were uh, uh, translated, sorry. Returning for a minute to some definition, we can now see more clearly why Bible scholars have determined that in reality, angels are servants and messengers. Angels, or messengers of God, or in Hebrew, the sent ones, whose office is to do him service in heaven and by his appointment to succor succor, and defend men on the earth. And that comes from Palubet's Bible Dictionary, page 34. And I got to see what just fell. A biblical angel is, by derivation and function, a messenger of God, or a sent one of God. That's what it means in Hebrew. A melech is a sent one of God. They can be mortals who are sent ones, or immortals who are sent ones, resurrected beings who are sent ones, uh, translated beings, immortals, or they can be spirits who are sent ones, 
Anyway, um, in the Qumran scrolls, or the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, the Qumran scrolls have a double hierarchy of angels with which associate with mortals, those from respective realms of light and darkness. The beings thus denoted may be clearly good angels or clearly fallen angels. And that comes from the Tyndale Illustrated Bible Dictionary, page 50. And like the Dead Sea Scrolls and the, the first book of Enoch, I don't believe the second and third books of Enoch. But the first book of Enoch and the Dead Sea Scrolls talk about these kind of things. And they're really interesting to get into as far as a study. But there's so much. And not all of it. Not all of the Dead Sea Scrolls have been released for people to read and understand. Anyway, mortals, mortal angels have a recollection and knowledge of life in the pre-existence as well as life in the spirit world or paradise. They are also aware of events that have occurred here in mortality since the creation of this world. Since their mission is that of a messenger or servant to mankind, would they not be able to appropriately impart some of this knowledge to mortals they are assigned to help? We're on page 96 at 96% through the reading for today, so we're almost done. Could they not have been a guardian angel to many mortals at different periods of time and become intimately acquainted with each of them? Yes, absolutely. That's what God revealed to me when I thought that there was this really good case of reincarnation. God revealed to me that the individual just remembered things as a ministering spirit and he was there when those things happened. And now... In the confusion of mortality, as the veil has been placed over his mind, he still remembers some of those things which happened to the other individual, and now he's thinking, or his parents and others are thinking, oh, this is a great case for reincarnation, but it's really that this individual remembers things that he saw as a ministering spirit to the individual he was helping, that he was not actually the individual that he saw. Continuing on, and could they not then reveal the details of the life and character of someone living at a prior time to someone now living? Wouldn't this then explain how someone could be so familiar with another person who lived many years ago? With all this angelic assistance available and designed to help us in our mortal lives, why would it be necessary to keep returning to earth as mortals and go through all of this again and again? So the next time that we come back, we're going to, to uh, go through chapter 12, which will be on page 97, and it talks about the doctrine of the devil, which reincarnation is a perversion of the truth of eternal lives. Reincarnation is a perversion of the truth of multiple mortal probations. And reincarnation in its perversion is a doctrine of the devil. There is truth in it, but the, it's, it's perverted. So we're going to go over that in the next chapter of this book, talking about reincarnation. And uh, we'll get into another book called The Doctrine of Eternal Lives 
which talks more about the true doctrine that reincarnation comes from. But like I said, reincarnation is a perversion of the truth. So anyway, we'll leave it at that point today. Uh, This wasn't as long as I thought it was going to be. Excuse me. I thought it was going to be a two hour program, but it looks like we're just under an, an hour and a half. So, all right. Well, that's the end of the program for today and uh, I will create another program as soon as I can uh, with my work schedule it's hard to say when that next program is going to come out and for the time being and maybe for the permanent time being we're doing podcasts no more live radio programs at least as I can foresee in the future so Thank you for listening to the program. Take care, everyone. God bless. And goodbye.